human eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Open mine eyes, illumine me. Spirit divine. Love of my life, I am crying. I am not dying. I am dancing. Dancing along in the madness. There is no sadness, only soul and we'll sing this song why don't you sing along and we can sing I would like to invite you to a soul level encounter music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak that's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul you will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guest's spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Follow your heart, love will find you. Truth will unbind you. Seek out the song of the soul and we'll sing this song. Why don't you sing along? And we can sing for a long, long time. Why don't you sing this song? This morning on Song of the Soul, our guest is Eric Nielsen. Eric is the pastor at the First Presbyterian Church here in Eau Claire. Eric formerly served congregation down in Illinois and has been in the Eau Claire area for three or four years now. Good morning, Eric, and welcome to Song of the Soul. Thank you. Very happy to sit down and uh, speak with you about music and song in my life. I take it that music has had a big part in your church life. Uh, when did you first get involved with music? Actually, I was involved with music very early. Um, started in the school choir, you know, in fourth grade and was very active in choral music all through high school and into college, uh, orchestral music as well, uh, starting in uh, elementary school and all the way through high school. Was always involved in musical theater, uh, was doing musical theater in high school, in college, I wasn't a music major per se, uh, but I was in all the, the, the concert choirs at the university, uh, sang with the opera theater department all four of my years in college and enjoyed uh, being the villainous baritone in, in opera productions and studied voice starting my sophomore year in high school and studied for seven years. Was very active in both state and Midwest regional song competitions all the time and, and just enjoyed music on the stage, variety of formats, in addition to singing in church choir and, and leading church choirs, whether it was sacred music, secular music, opera, comedy, whatever, uh, did a lot of singing and, and just enjoyed uh, that medium. I notice in the music that you picked out here, there aren't a lot of Beatles tunes or anything like that. Did you have interest in that kind of music too? 
Not particularly. I think I was like any high school, college-age student. You listen to the top 40 music on the radio, that type of thing, but uh, it was kind of background music. I was more in touch with inclined to the, the choral music tradition. There's just such a unique sound that can be made when many voices are joined together as opposed to solo work that is a unique art, and I, I've just always been drawn to that. So some of the music I've selected comes from the earliest days of four-part choral music, you know, 1500s, 1600s, up to the present day. It, that just has a unique place in my own heart. My own spiritual connection with music is um, polyphonic music, many-part music. One other thing I wanted to note, you're the minister here at First Presbyterian, and I tend to think of the choir and the minister as two separate parts of the church, but you participate in the choir. Yes, I do. It's it's kind of an engineering feat. I have to kind of lay out the liturgy and, and flow of the service a little bit that at certain times gives me a chance to run up to the choir loft. Our choir and organ is in the back of the sanctuary. We always have the morning anthem after the sharing of the peace. So when we're sharing peace for a while, I kind of sneak out the back door, run up the stairs to the choir loft to get ready for the anthem that follows. And then I have a, a worship leader read the scripture lesson for the day immediately after that, while I'm then hightailing it down from the choir loft back to the chancel to continue with the service. It's an engineering marvel, but we make it work, and I enjoy it. Well, let's listen to the first song that you've chosen for your Song of the Soul, Eric. I'm going to have you pronounce it, even though I'm Catholic-raised. My Latin isn't all that good. Tell us about the first one and its origins and why it's important for you. Okay, it's Exultate Justi. And it's written in 1602. This is an early choral piece, four-part piece. It's actually the setting of the first two verses of Psalm 32. The translation they have with this recording, it's, Let us rejoice in the Lord, sing a new song, sing well to him with a strong voice. And that is always connected, again, my love of music and the type of music I've performed. I look at music, I look at worship as really being that experience, how we can use the gift of music, use the gift of voice to lift our praise to God. This also reflects very early church music. I've done Gregorian chant. I have experience with that. It's okay. It's not my favorite. Uh, but this is where we're really getting into four-part, six-part singing, uh, an early example of that. And so I enjoy it. So let's listen here to Exultate Justi, and it's being sung by the Cathedral Singers.
when you showed me your second song, Be Thou My Vision, I figured, oh, okay, this is one I can sing along with. But then you threw a curve at me, and it's not the arrangement, not the tune that I'm used to, although it's the same text. How did this song by the Cambridge Singers become part of your favorites? The text has always been a very important text in my life. When I was on the floor of our presbytery being examined to be ordained, and that whole examination process was over, I was asked if there was a particular song that the whole assembly wanted to join in singing with me upon the conclusion of that. And this was the text I chose. Most folks sing it to the tune Slain. Uh, Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. I think that's the one most congregations use. Uh, This arrangement is actually by John Rutter, who's a contemporary English composer. Again, this is a six-part arrangement of it. The thing I like about Rutter's music is he often has in the background of his music or floating above the music an oboe, a clarinet, a flute uh, that's kind of woven into the music itself. And for me, that is always symbolic of the presence of the Spirit hovering above, uh, working among us. Uh, the text itself, I think, speaks for itself. It's, it's an absolutely wonderful text and one that guides me in ministry still to this day. Be thou my vision, Lord. Uh, Keep me going straight. Keep me going in your paths. So for Eric's second song in his Song of the Soul, we'll listen to Be Thou My Vision, the version by John Rutter.
For your third song, you've chosen Lord Have Mercy by Russian, let me see, it's the Russian State Symphony and Choir. And I take it that this has some personal importance for you that you visited over there. Yes, in the summer of 1985, I was part of a Presbyterian peacemaking effort, an exchange of college-age students between Moscow and students from across the United States. And so I spent almost two months in what was then the Soviet Union, and part of our experience was to connect with Christians that were there, different traditions, but of course the dominant tradition in Russia, the Soviet Union, is the Orthodox Church. I had the opportunity to worship not just on Sunday, where services might be four to five hours. They also have the tradition of morning prayer. So at seven o'clock in the morning, we'd be down at the church and we would just have a short hour and a half service or so. Of course, the the liturgy of the, the Orthodox tradition is sung. And they are known for the profound bass that literally rumbles and echoes through the churches. As a baritone myself, I've always had a love for that. Anyway, the Orthodox tradition has an aspect of the mystery of God that I think often in my own Reformed tradition and Christianity in general in the United States, we sometimes lose or we miss that. And that mystery is so expressed in the music of the Orthodox tradition. This selection is by uh, Rachmaninoff, but in all of the Russian composers, they have that sense of mystery, which is, is an important aspect of our faith I don't want us to lose. And so I enjoy this type of music as well. Were you raised Presbyterian? I guess that you're young enough that you didn't have the experience of the Latin Mass, which Catholics used to have, which I, in fact, grew up with, uh, which I think touches on that mystery that you refer to. That's correct. I'm about 40 years old, and I have always been Presbyterian, was raised Presbyterian. Growing up, I did not know anything about the Latin Mass. I didn't learn about Vatican II until I was in college and what that all meant and, and meant for the practice of the of the Catholic tradition. So, yeah, that sense of the mystery of God, the otherness of God, the holiness of God, while officially part of our tradition, is not something that is stressed or observed regularly, uh, certainly not in the way that it's experienced in the Orthodox tradition. There's a part of me that yearns for that, as I think we all do, the mysterious, the otherness of God, the holiness of God. And I just find it so clearly expressed in Orthodox spirituality and certainly in the music of the Orthodox Church. So here we'll be listening to the Russian State Symphony and Choir, Lord Have Mercy.
notice as we go to the next one that you're going into Latin too, Eric. I wonder if you've ever studied Latin. Actually, I haven't. My experience with Latin has come through music, the music of the traditional mass, but other anthems, motets on other texts. I basically learn what this anthem, this song is about, having to look up a translation of the Latin itself. But I'm not fluent in Latin at all, and uh, which may seem kind of ironic. It's just something to remember, though, that the vast majority of music that's ever been written in human history has been for the church, and a very large percentage of that music is in Latin, because that simply was the language of the church for so many years. And so, yeah, a lot of music that I listen to is in Latin. But for me, music goes deeper than the the text itself and whatever language it may be in. It's the combination of the text, its meaning, and the music itself. That is the expression that I connect with. In Paradisum, I believe, is the next cut. Eric, why did you choose this one? This probably is one of my all-time favorite pieces of music, and that says a lot because I've been exposed to a lot of different types of music. This is the closing uh, movement of Foray's Requiem Mass, and this is a description, a setting of paradise. And between the soprano part and the organ and, and harp that's often used in the background, it is very much kind of your traditional angelic, picture of heaven. And we may have different understandings of heaven and what that's like. But for me, this is a song that helps me when you're just having one of those days, when everything is going wrong, when you may be feeling down or just not having a great day. You can listen to this song and almost be transported into a place of spiritual peace. So this is In Paradisum. It's sung by the Choir of Trinity College in Cambridge.
Number five in your Song of the Soul is Alleluia, sung by the Boston Trinity Choir. What's this song mean for you? Why is it one of your songs of the soul? Well, the text is pretty straightforward. It's praise God. And this version, written by Randall Thompson, it's probably one of the most famous settings of Alleluia in choral literature. What makes it special for me is he takes the word Alleluia, praise God, and does so many different things with it. The song will have very slow and solemn parts to it, which reminds us, you know, in those solemn parts of life, we still say, praise God. He has parts in the anthem that really accelerate, and they climax, and it's exciting, and you can connect with those exciting times in our faith journey. And again, we say, praise God. Uh, it's also a piece that I've had a chance to perform vocally uh, with choral groups in the past on several occasions. And as a singer, all those movements of emotion, they just connect when you sing it as well. It's a very exciting piece to sing and have enjoyed uh, the opportunity to do that. And so, again, it, it's just one of those basic songs of the faith. Wherever we find ourselves, praise God. So this is Alleluia by the Trinity Choir of Boston.
I meant to ask you earlier, Eric, which college you went to. This next piece is sung by the St. Olaf Choir, and I was wondering if you ever had connection with them. It's called Lamb of God, and it's a very old recording from the 1940s. Yeah, I went to college at the University of Northern Iowa, and I was actually an economics major. I wasn't a music major, uh, but did sing with uh, two different choral programs there in addition to the opera company. St. Olaf is well known, however, throughout the upper Midwest. They have been known for their music program for literally centuries, back to its very beginning in the 18, whatever it was, 1880s that they started. F. Milius Christiansen was the first choral director there and wrote prolifically, and this is one of his songs. And then his son, Olaf Christiansen, took his place in the late 1940s and continued into, I believe it was, the early 1980s as the conductor there. It's, it's quite a tradition at St. Olaf. This particular song was written by F. Milius, the father of Olaf, and when he programmed concerts at St. Olaf, the anthems reflected the story of our faith. He would often start at the beginning of the gospel stories and end with music that tied into either the passion of Christ or the resurrection. And this particular song, Lamb of God, is obviously coming from the Holy Week account. It's a very slow song, just talking about the Lamb of God. And you can almost envision Christ on the cross as this is sung. This recording actually comes from the late 1940s, early 1950s. Olaf had just taken over the choir, and it's recording from that era, so there's a few pops and things that you'll hear as it's played. An another particular reason I chose this one is uh, for many years I sang with the Les Hale Chorale, which is a very well-known chorale in Iowa, and uh, Les Hale is my voice teacher for those many years. And when I was chosen to be in this chorale, this was the very first song on my very first concert, and I was scared to death, you know, going out on stage singing with this group. And still to this day, I, I have the baritone part for the song memorized because it was just so drilled into my head uh, as we went out on stage for the first time. We'll listen to Lamb of God by the St. Olaf Choir.
the next piece varies from the earlier ones you've had. Most of it's been choir music, and this one's an organ piece, Toccata in 7. What can you tell us about this piece? Well, yes, I didn't want people to get totally bored if they're not really into choral music. I do listen to other things and enjoy other types of music. This particular piece is a short piece uh, recently written by John Rudder, and I've shared some of Rudder's music before. The thing I like about this piece is it's in seven. You're not going to beat this as you do most music in two or four, or even if it has a lilt in three. And I like that because it also, for me, expresses our faith journey. It jumps around. It doesn't always have a steady beat. It keeps you on your toes. It's moving. It's exciting. It also reflects the fact that the organ traditionally has been one of the key instruments in the life of the church. Some churches now are kind of moving away from that, but I think the organ's always going to be a part of our Christian tradition. So much of our music, again, is focused around this instrument. But this is a very contemporary use of the instrument, and I like to see some of the newer compositions that are coming out for organ in ways that are connecting with perhaps our more contemporary audience today. This is Toccata in 7. It's played by Nicholas Cullen of Clare College in Cambridge. Your next choice for Song of the Soul is a contemporary artist, singer. The song is Raise Me Up. Why did you choose this, Eric? Yes, yeah, Sissel, who performs this, is an a up-and-coming Norwegian soprano. I like this song, You Raise Me Up, because it really gives a message, again, of hope in our faith in Christ. You raise me up when things are down, when we're walking on stormy waters. The, the key in the refrain here, for me, is the image drawn to the passage where Jesus comes out to the disciples and they're in the boat and the storm is blowing all around them and they're crying out for help and Jesus comes to them. Oftentimes I think in our lives we get at those points where the storms are kind of around us 
And this song reflects the truth that uh, in Christ we find that strength, whether you want to call it salvation, whether you want to call it encouragement, however you experience that, that the Christ who comes to us and raises us up and allows us to get on our feet again and to continue the journey forward. It's a very contemporary song. It was on the top 40 uh, list and radio stations as a secular song for quite some time. But as you'll see in the text, this is really a, a sacred song. It's, it's taking a sacred text and applying it. And uh, so I hope folks enjoy this as a contemporary expression. Eric, you're a Presbyterian minister, and one of the difficulties, I think, with being a minister is that maybe you're held to a higher level of expectation. You have to be perfect. This song, Raise Me Up, is talking about what you do when you're down and battered, the times when you need to be raised up. Is it possible for you to preach, talk to your congregation about the times when you were down and needed to be raised up? Yes, it is. And, and I've done that on occasion. I think as a pastor, you have to be a little careful of not just carrying all your own baggage into the pulpit, but at the same time, it can become a very helpful example to the congregation to help them realize that, you know, pastors are not super people. We are the same as many of them and that we have our weaknesses, we have our foibles, we have our challenges that we face. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes out of my experience in a particular situation, I might share some of the experience that I have gone through and then how my faith has helped me to get through that, to get on my feet again. And in many ways, that can be helpful to a congregation. I, I think there is always the danger that the pastor can be put up on a pedestal. And I don't think that's not only fair to a pastor, quite frankly, um, but that's just not the way it is. Pastors are not super Christians. We are not better Christians than other folks. We have folks that have been called to this particular ministry, but we are just as human and we have just as many weaknesses as anybody else. And so this music speaks to me as a pastor, it speaks to me as an individual, and it speaks to all of us, I think, as Christians as part of our journey.
was Raise Me Up by Sissel. For the next cut, you're going to Ave Maria. So we're back to this wonderful long-term Latin tradition. As a growing Catholic, I sang Ave Maria quite a bit. Do you feel it all out of place? Do you, do you get reactions maybe from your congregation here that you know Ave Maria is not the song that they should be singing as Protestants? This can be an interesting discussion, and obviously the use of Ave Maria is very central to the Catholic tradition, and when we as Protestants went through our Reformation era, at times we threw the baby out with the bathwater. Certainly we look at Mary's role in the Gospel story differently than probably most of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic tradition. However, Mary is there. She's there at the very beginning of the story. She's there throughout Jesus' ministry. She's there at the cross. She's there at the tomb. And so you can't just discard Mary. Uh, I think Mary is a very key figure in our faith story, and we have to recognize that and honor that. The selection that I've chosen for today is not the traditional Schubert or even the Bach version, which are generally the two that are most often performed. This, again, is a 20th century setting of the Ave Maria text. I like its more contemporary feel, but it's still classical choral. It breaks into eight parts, which is fun to sing. This is also an anthem that I have sung with a choral group. Again, it's simply a way of illustrating Mary is a part of our faith story. We celebrate her faith. We celebrate her commitment. And that's part of our Christian story. That's not a Catholic story. That's the Christian story. So this connects with us. We don't uh, pray to Mary, and we may speak of her more often in our Advent and Lenten seasons than we do regularly throughout the year. Uh, But she's still a part of our tradition, and we don't want to lose that. We'll listen here to the Trinity Choir of Boston sing Ave Maria.
your last choice for Song of the Soul is Take Joy Home. It occurs to me, Eric, while I've been listening to you, that instead of being the minister, maybe you really wanted to be the choir director. Had you ever considered that maybe that was the lost opportunity? Not really. Um, actually, and, and your question ties in closely with this song. My voice teacher of seven years actually sang with Cheryl Milnes, who's going to perform this song, uh, when they were doing their master's work at Indiana. And I remember when I was finishing high school and going into college, my teacher asked me, you know, Eric, do you want to go into music as your living, as your career? And I was struggling with, you know, what I was going to do in college. The whole idea of going to seminary was kind of uh, surfacing at the time and figuring out what I was going to do. And he quickly chimed in, though, saying, if there's anything else you feel called to do in life, don't go into music. Because music, if you're going to do it for a living, it is all you do. And it's a lot of life on the road early on if you're going to go into performance. And uh, if you have any other interests, you may always wonder, should I have gone in that direction? Whereas if you go into some other calling in life, the gift of music is always there for you to be involved with as you would like or as you feel able to do. And that was wise advice that he gave me. And so while I did go on to become an economics major and, and while I did eventually go to seminary, music has always been there, though, as in a very important part of my life. So I've really had the best of both worlds and have been able to enjoy that. Uh, Cheryl Milnes, who performed this, I've had a chance to meet with him on a couple of occasions when he was on tour with the Met, and uh, he did a little coaching which, with me that I've always just have been thrilled by. Uh, for the 70s and in, well into the 80s, he was the baritone at the Metropolitan Opera. But the reason I close with this song is its text, Take Joy Home. The song by Alice Jordan speaks of the fact that joy is the great gift that God has given to us as God's people, that it comes to us while working in the noonday sun or in the sacred hour of dawn. As we simply pause to look around us, we have cause for joy. The song ends with saying that joy is the gift that we then give back to God. And as I look at our whole Christian calling and what we are as the people of God, so much of it boils down to that simple truth, the joy of what we have been given by God, and hopefully the joyous way we live our faith as our gift back to God. We listen here to Take Joy Home, sung by Cheryl Milnes. Oh, 
the sacred hour of God. Make a place in your heart for her. talking to you, particularly during this time, how these songs relate to your faith journey. I also want to thank you for being part of singing out the voice of God. Again, thank you for taking part in Song of the Soul and sharing your Song of the Soul with us. You're more than welcome, and I hope people get a sense of that joy in the presence of God through this music. And if this didn't really connect with them today, tune in the next time, and perhaps someone else will connect in a better way. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS-FM Radio, please contact me via my email address, helpsmeet at usa.net. That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at usa.net. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. Sing out a song of the soul and the sea.